0: Once 2020 hit, I had to close the business down in May. It was a gut-wrenching decision. My manager just couldn't even get through the ring roads around Melbourne City. It was closed off like East and West Germany in the 60s. Small and medium-sized businesses were crushed. We have had a steady encroachment on our freedoms for the last 30 years. Every single time we have a societal problem in Australia and an issue, we look to the government. Australia changed overnight, literally overnight. On the 19th of March, we were a free country. On the 20th of March, we were a totalitarian dictatorship, and that happened overnight.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Staying Free podcast. In this episode, I spoke with Melinda Richards, who many of you will know from Twitter. She's got quite a popular account there and has been putting out a lot of really great commentary about the state of the world. Um, I also found out in the conversation that she's writing a book which is great and another example of people using adversity and actually turning it around and trying to create something new and move the world in a different direction. I didn't know before having this conversation that Melinda actually had a food business which was destroyed essentially due to the lockdowns in Australia so I'm grateful to Melinda for sharing that story. As always if you enjoy this conversation please do share it on social media. As a lot of us have found recently, it is very hard to get any traction on social media these days. It seems like the algorithms are not in our favor, so anything you can do to push the episode out there will be hugely appreciated. And if you're enjoying the podcast so far, do give it a subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're using. There's a lot of episodes in the backlog now, which I'm sure will interest you if you're new to the podcast. And also please give the podcast a five-star rating if you're enjoying these conversations. One more thing to mention is that I've turned on tips on the Twitter account for the Staying Free podcast. So if you go on the Twitter profile and click on the little icon, I've turned on tips. At the moment, it's just for Bitcoin. So by the time this podcast goes out, I might have added additional options for tipping. But at the moment, it's just Bitcoin. So if you don't have Bitcoin or you don't have self-custody of your Bitcoin and you only have it on an exchange, then this might be a good opportunity to actually interact with it a little bit. Any tips you decide to send are hugely appreciated. All right, on to the episode. I know that your your Twitter handle is um goodfoodgal. Yep. So did you used to do something in the in the way of food blocking or something?
0: Yeah, yeah, I um I actually had a business and a couple of my trolls love to remind everyone about this, but I actually had a a a food manufacturing business, but because the factory I'm on I'm in Queensland on the Gold Coast and the factory was in Melbourne. Uh, once 2020 hit, I had to close the business down in May. It was a gut-wrenching decision but i my staff couldn't get into the factory i couldn't we couldn't go into state australia had virtually locked down overnight and dan andrews is a psychopath so i knew that it, that melbourne and victoria weren't going to be opening up anytime soon so uh, being being manufacturing you can't actually keep the doors open per se uh, i mean you can't even you just can't do anything and it just costs you a lot of money just to have equipment sitting there I do have other businesses, so that would have brought the group down. So I just had to I did it early, I did it swiftly, the staff understood. It was probably one of the it, it's in the top five worst days of my life, um, having to to shut down, but uh we we were able to sort of regroup and restructure the rest of the group pretty quickly as well. Mm.
1: Right. Okay, so did that business shut down because of COVID?
0: Yes. Yes it did. I mean, travelling in a state in Australia, you, you just, I mean, you just never even think that there's state borders in this country. It's, it's never even occurred to me. Um, we had set up, it was a hangover of setting up the business amongst a few others down in Melbourne and it was one of the last ones left and we kept that one going because it was a, it was a fantastic business and they closed all the state borders inside the country. So Australia was one of the very few countries that did that. So most other countries I know that had provinces, states, you know, they were still able to move freely within their own country. So it was a phenomenal situation. Australians were virtually locked inside their own states. Yeah. Within their own country. And we couldn't get out of our country. We also couldn't get out of our own state.
1: So going back to this food business, how long had you been running that business?
0: Well, well, my father started that one um, and... I had sort of started getting involved in it about 10 years ago and, you know, it was sort of muddling along and I wasn't taking it too seriously until we started to get uh, a really amazing reaction from the product. So one of the products was, the well, the headline product was broccoli sprouts. So uh, we grew our own sprouts in the factory, but they're very difficult to grow. So we had a real market niche and we had a really sort of big, kind of complex growing system there and uh, it, it's just such a long w- winding story but we ended up uh, getting it scientifically tested those sprouts uh, we were freeze drying them powdering them and then getting them scientifically tested and they had very very high levels of of a compound called sulforaphane in them and sulforaphane is an amazing an amazing compound that helps fight inflammation in the body particularly cancers and tumors and uh, helps autistic people, people with um, arthritis. I mean, there was a lot of research being conducted with this amazing compound. So that was really the point of difference for for that business. And um, we, we were going into China. You know, I, I had found a really amazing business partner and um, Found another business partner in the U.S. So, really, these people kind of find you when you have a a good product and and you can prove that it's good. So the food industry is just diabolical, as in all industries, because as we now know, uh, they're all all the big brands are eventually owned by the same people around the world. So you you know even in any industry that people get into you can sort of grow to a certain level and then people tend to buy you out or you you tend to get taken over or, you you know, that sort of thing. And we were probably heading down that path, but we had a few more years to run before, you know, the next step was was going to happen. Hmm.
1: So it was a family business essentially?
0: Yeah, yeah, it was a family business and, uh, you know, I had a few things going on on the side and then Dad passed and then, of course, the whole group came to me. Um, which a couple of my trolls also like to point out. And I always knew that it was coming. I had been involved in the, the, the group for some time. And yeah, there's a, it's a bit of an eclectic mix of things that we do. But, you know, the Super Sprout one was probably the most emotional out of all of our, our things that we do, because we had people who really benefited from the products. And we had people telling us that. And then we had people telling us their stories and their health journeys. And because as as we know, and this is probably another reason why I got so passionate about what was going on in the last two and a half years is because I had really immersed myself in the story of human health as well. So it wasn't just freedom. It's freedom combined with the story about the human body and health and our immune systems and what we need to do to take care of ourselves. And, you know, um, a whole, there's just a whole world out there of, of narrative that was really, you know, hitting me in the face about what was wrong and that everything that was happening was wrong. It wasn't just this and that, it was every single thing we were being told was incorrect. Every single, single thing that governments were telling people to do was incorrect and very, are harmful to people's health. So, you know, for me, it was sort of, there was a lot of ideology involved, health, freedom, you know, a whole range of things. And that's when I decided to get very, very noisy on Twitter and social media about it. Yeah.
1: So the thing that actually was the kind of nail in the coffin for the business, it sounds like it was the shutting down of the borders between states, right?
0: Yeah. And, and the access and even the people that lived in Victoria, because they lived, outside of the greater Melbourne and then one of my staff just packed her bags threw it in the car and drove to South Australia where her family was so we lost her overnight because they just said we're shutting all the borders but he couldn't my my manager just couldn't even get through the the ring roads around Melbourne City That was it was closed off like east and west Germany used to be in the sixties, you just couldn't get through.
1: How did any commerce continue then? Like, is your business, um, a unique case, um, in terms of how you were affected? Because I can't see why, um, this wouldn't affect almost every business in the same way.
0: Yeah, it did look, this, this was designed. And, and I think if we, if we always keep the strategic picture in mind, because I had to do that, I had to, to, to stay sane. I had to first understand what was really going on. Uh, I had to really ask the logical questions and then I had to answer them. And one of the big things that came out of the last two and a half years is that small and medium-sized businesses were crushed. Um, a lot of them were crushed in Australia. Now, a lot of people survived and a lot of businesses did survive and some of them made money even. They, they, you know, started selling hand sanitizers and face masks and some people really jumped on board and we're very entrepreneurial and, and and had, you know, home deliveries and businesses that sort of hooked into, you know, um, situations when people are isolated. But, you know, I just couldn't, I was busy trying to keep everything else open and I couldn't respond that quickly or be that entrepreneurial, unfortunately. And also I couldn't actually do something that i was fundamentally philosophically opposed to and i knew was wrong but but the the real graveyard of businesses fell into the small business category and and we were still technically a small yeah nearly nearly a medium sized business but we were still a small business and certainly um all of the other big box retailers and all of the other big brands in australia were able to stay open because they just simply they were either simply allowed to open or they were subsidized by the government because they were too big to fail. But when you have a myriad of small businesses, they're not too big to fail. You can, you can let those go and, and and they're on a case by case basis and that those people are, it's really hard for them to become squeaky wheels.
1: Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, that's so sad to hear. So yeah, I'm really sorry to hear that, that, um, you know, this ultimately caused your business to, to collapse, but, um, just going back to something that you were you were saying before about the kind of, I guess, the health aspects of this and the kind of more, more holistic side of things. This is something that um, I'm interested in because I, I've noticed that there's a weird kind of unification at the moment between people of very different kind of backgrounds. You've almost got the kind of very like holistic, hippie, you know, vegan, um, you know, health kind of health food type people. And then you've got a kind of alliance with the more kind of, right-wing kind of libertarian, you know, pro-freedom people.
0: Absolutely.
1: Uh, I'm wondering whether mm-hmm. you maybe straddle the line between both of those, like, like I do in a way.
0: <laughs> yes, I, I absolutely do. And um, what, what um, people really, I, I think, have come to understand in the last, probably, you know, at least the last two years, is that conservatism and, and, and right-wing is actually all about self-determination and freedom. And, you know, the left wing is and wokeism is really about uh, socialism and totalitarianism and really telling people what they should be thinking and what they should be feeling and curbing freedom of speech and censorship. So the word conservatism and, and being a conservative is really a bit of an oxymoron, to be really honest. I mean, I call myself a conservative, but I'm probably the least conservative person I know. I've certainly been the boldest, most vocal person of, of my friendship groups. Um, initially, I now have I now have a, a whole new group of friends that I've found. Uh, that some of them are actually even more outspoken than me. But when this initially came out, you know, the word conservative in the dictionary does does not describe the sort of person really that I am on, on the, the the sort of the right wing, if you like. Side of politics and certainly at the rallies, and there were a number of rallies in Australia that were eventually allowed to go ahead after <laughs> after a lot of them were suppressed but that's another story again, yeah. when we were all eventually got to the rallies um, you know we were standing in line with absolutely I was standing hand in hand with indigenous people who used to hate conservatives and vegans and left wing extremists who who were like, what? I mean, the, the the old hippie type leftism, not the new leftism, but the stuff that was revolutionary back in the 60s and 70s when the true left-wing people back then were actually screaming about freedom, ironically, which of course now it's completely the opposite. So it's it was this mix of of you know all of these types of ideologies that came together under one banner. And you can call it something and and you probably probably need to call it something. I was trying to call it, uh, you know, libertarianism. I think that was the new word I was coming up with with people because freedom was, you know, part of it, but it was, it's not about left wing and and right wing anymore. Those concepts have completely gone in Australia. They've probably gone in the UK and Canada and New Zealand and the US as well. It is not about left-wing and right-wing anymore. It is about freedom versus totalitarianism and that is the spectrum that people sit on now, not left and right-wing. I believe those terms are now probably defunct and I'd love to see them disappear altogether, although they won't quickly and I am writing a book at the moment where I do use the words leftism and left-wing and and right-wing but there's still a hangover of that. But I don't think they're going to last much longer, to be really honest.
1: Yeah, I mean, that experience that you just described there is very similar to what I had and a lot of other people in the UK had going to the protests here was just that the actual diversity of people um, at those protests really spoke to just how mm. kind of non-politically aligned these things are you know like the, the idea that we shouldn't be you know, mandating vaccines the idea that we shouldn't be um you know shutting people's businesses down you know putting yep. putting masks on kids etc like the, these really are not issues that should be relegated to party politics and I actually don't Absolutely. think they are I mean I mean mm. in the UK we, we had like um I remember kind of you go on the march and like you can kind of drop back a bit you walk a bit slower and you'll you'll kind of catch up to another group and one minute you're amongst a load of Sikhs and then you know maybe you uh you drop back a bit more and all of a sudden there's people playing drum and bass and it's a you know yes. more yes, more kind of exactly traditional right. kind of british types yep. and then you you drop back a bit more and you've got a bunch of hippies with steel drums yep. it was just like it was <laughs> it was exactly. everything you know and and um and then to see it to see how it gets kind of reported in the media uh, i mean mm. it felt felt to me Um, like going to a festival and then you see it reported in the media and you know it's just such disingenuous um reporting that you see which i'm sure was was the same in australia but yeah no no doubt that there's something really yes sorry ahead.
0: Yeah, no, it was just, it was absolutely the media reporting. I just wanted to to pick up on that point when you said that. That, that really triggers emotion in me, <laughs> the media reporting, because the um, way that they reported the numbers that went to that rally and then the way they described the people at those rallies was absolutely disgraceful. I mean, it was gutter. We're talking the low of the lows. So we would be here on the Gold Coast. Now, this is only a city of around sort of 600,000, maybe 700,000 people now. And, you know, you had at least fifteen, twenty thousand 20,000 people throughout the day turning up to, to these rallies. That's a large proportion of the population. And uh, certainly in Melbourne and Sydney there were and in Canberra, there were millions of people in Canberra. Um, and it goes on and on. And I can talk about all the rallies around the country but the way that it was reported the abc our nationally funded our taxpayer funded broadcaster would talk about hundreds of people a couple of thousand people and then they would describe the people at the rallies and it was so patronizing and so demeaning and so insulting that you just um you just wondered whether you know they how they felt that they could line all of these people up and that all of these people were going to be seen by a general population as as just these horrible, extreme, neo-Nazi, right-wing, um, you know, troublemakers, ter- inter- domestic terrorists. I mean, you had every single description. But, you know, the media just forgot that there was so many people that it was people's sisters and brothers and fathers and uncles and aunts. So it was insulting to the entire population, really, because we had so many people going out.
1: And also, you know, this this word was always banded about in British media, and I'm sure it was worldwide um, of people being selfish. You know, a- anyone who's against this stuff must, of course, be selfish. And actually, in in my case, like it treated me pretty well. Lockdowns treated me pretty well. You know, like all of my work went remote. I didn't have a commute on my hands. You know, it was it was quite an easy life. I wasn't. I didn't really lose any work. Mm, um, mm. So actually, I had. I had nothing really to gain from this. I had nothing to gain by by supporting this. Mm-hmm. There was no um, selfish aspect. It's purely for me based on principle. Now, mm-hmm. in your case, it's it's in many ways the opposite. You know, you were completely affected by it. It did um, you know ruin your business and everything. So, if someone was to, to call you selfish, well, you know, is it selfish to care about your to care about your business? Is it selfish to care about your your livelihood? I just don't think that there's any way that anyone at those protests um, is doing it in any kind of for any kind of selfish means. I don't know I don't know what it means to be selfish in service of the principles of freedom and things because you know no matter yes. which you know no matter which road you go down it's always for some kind of greater good. Do you, do you see where I'm going with this? I just don't understand how that accusation can be can be leveled at yep. people, you know, as far as I'm concerned everyone at those rallies has a completely legitimate reason to be there.
0: Yeah. It's really, really important point what you raise. In fact, it's probably the the thing that happens straight out of the gate. Now we have to remember that the people that are out there trying to um, push the COVID line do things by naming people and shaming people. That's how they get herds to come along with the pack because people aren't just afraid of a virus; they're afraid of being labelled, and they're afraid of ostracization, They're afraid of being exiled. So so psychology really, really kicks in here. And one of the words that they used right out of the gate for people was this word selfish. And I picked up on that really, really early on. And, and of course, the great thing about Twitter and, and my, my followers on Twitter and the people that I follow is that, you know, 95% of people um, that, that follow me on Twitter are actually smarter than me. So I was really struggling with this this selfishness and this label that was coming out. So the first label, the very first label out the gate, was if you don't do this, you're selfish, you're going to kill grandma, you're going to murder people. I mean, I was actually, believe it or not, someone actually got onto my feed in March, I think March 2020, when I was questioning what was going on and I was testing the logic which of course ended up being totally illogical but at the fir- in the early days someone actually got on and not only did I get selfish 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 so I mean that that was just getting rolled out by everybody but I got a murderer you know I got how could you 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 you're spreading misinformation you're you know uh la la la, la and it went on and on but I picked up on selfish because I thought to myself who's the selfish one here Are you you selfish for for being a completely healthy person and knowing that you have a 99 for me at the time? I was a 99.98% chance of full recovery. All of my friends were in the same boat as me. I had no symptoms and, and yet I was expected to shut down my life, stay behind closed doors and lock myself away for those people, those other people, to feel safe. So who's the selfish one here? All of those people... Cowering and and with comorbidities and really scared, locking themselves away and expecting everyone else to lock themselves away so they feel safe. Uh, who's the selfish one? Am I the selfish one for wanting to get on with my life and keep people employed and, and keep contributing to society, or are they actually selfish because they're sitting behind closed doors expecting everyone to do what they're doing so they feel safer? You know, for me, I flipped the, the I flipped the selfish argument yeah. around one hundred and eighty degrees. Because for me, if, if you are a person who has a comorbidity, if you're scared, if you're worried about something, then you have a, a responsibility to then tell people w- what's bothering you, look after yourself and make sure that you take measures to look after your own health, that you take measures to uh, keep yourself safe. It's not everyone else's job and it's certainly not the government's job to keep you safe. You, that's actually your job. It's your own personal responsibility. So if you expect everyone else to, to throw away their lives for you, if you expect everyone else in the world to, to be uh, cowering down to your needs and to your individual issues, and it might be because you've got comorbidities and often or not some of those comorbidities, comorbidities I should say, were were due to if you're a young person, not eating right, uh, through obesity, through diabetes. Um, you know they knew right out of the gate that obese people had a very high chance of getting quite sick from from this particular virus. So, so I mean, the the, the idea that other people have to throw away their lives so you as an individual. Are fully protected and feel fully safe, is is just you know selfish to me. That's that's what selfish means. You know you can't put your own individual life above the 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 the, the, the good and well functioning society around you. you. Your life is worth something if you're actually going to leave the world in a better place than whence you came. If if you do things and say things to shut down society and to tell society that um, everything around us needs to be in a certain way, and by the way, if we come out of it, if it's worse off, well, too bad. We saved, if we save one life. I mean, I got that so many times. Oh, but Melinda, if we save one life, it'll all be worth it. But the thing is, they were killing Thousands and thousands of lives to save that one life. I mean, we know now in Australia that thousands and thousands of people died as a result of the lockdowns and the restrictions and the the state border closures. We we know that now. That is a very that is a very open statistic, and there are lots of estimates going around about how many people actually died as a result of completely. Locking people away and shutting down society, and I know that they're talking about that in the UK as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I actually, I agree with a lot of what you say, but I think it's important to also remember that you know we, we were talking about protecting you know the vulnerable, etc. But a lot of the, the vulnerable were not actually asking for this. You know, it wasn't the old people in care homes that were saying we want the rest of society. yeah sure. you're
0: right. Absolutely. No, you're right. Yeah, you know, it was people. It was people who were speaking on their behalf, which made me even more. And and you see, yes. your point is, is very very um, salient because because it wasn't the eighty year olds. I mean, the eighty year olds were, weren't going because the eighty year olds didn't want people locked down on their behalf because they were saying. Certainly, the ones I spoke to, we've had our life, we've lived our life. Why are we telling young people they can't go to school? Why are we telling people they can't get back to university? Why are we saying that grade twelves can't Year twelve students can't go to their formal this year. I mean, why are we ruining the lives of young people to save the eighty and the eighty-five year olds? And the eighty and eighty-five year olds were saying that, and that's a really, really good point. But yeah. what I what I didn't like is those selfish comments were coming from the people who are, who who were boldly going like all the social elites and the woke people go, uh, because we're speaking on other people's behalf, because we're always thinking that the moral high ground is 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 the absolute right. It's always right. You can't question me because I'm right, because I'm woke and I'm right and yeah. I'm speaking on behalf of the old people. I'm speaking on behalf of the obese people. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking on behalf of the vulnerable. I mean, how many times did we hear the words vulnerable and you're killing the vulnerable? It's like, well, maybe the vulnerable don't think so. So so your, your point is right and I mm-hmm. suppose it adds a little bit more of a sour taste in my mouth that people felt that they had to get out on social media and, and do this kind of new virtue signalling around COVID and this new kind of I'm doing this for the good of the community, you're not because you're selfish. But look at me, I'm actually doing it for the old people, for the people that have comorbidities. And, and yes, it was. It was this kind of new birth of, of virtue signalling that rose um, which and, and, and it takes on board your hmm. point. You know, not all those vulnerable people agreed yeah. that society should be locked down on their behalf. But but I will say that, but there were some that did that did believe that that there, there were some definitely on my feed that that felt that I needed to be uh, very cognizant of them and their mothers and their their right. brother has an illness and and so I did get a lot of uh, those stories as well. I don't know the proportion, but there was yeah. definitely people who felt that you know the society owed them something there you
1: know yeah there of course is going to be going to be people who 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 believe that but i think that the majority and this is this is something that i've been thinking about you know the majority of people who supported this it's almost like it was it's a convenient way of expressing a different political belief which in my view is Mm. that Essentially, money doesn't matter. Business doesn't matter. The economy doesn't matter. All that matters is the well-being of people. And I think that actually what's happened is that radical leftists saw an opportunity with COVID to make their political stand and say, you know, like you're saying about, you know, if it saves one life, it's almost as if they were saying, if we don't advocate, that saving one life is worth it, even if you destroy the, the whole economy, then we're not advocating for far left values. Now, I know that that might be quite, quite a stretch and people might not even necessarily, um, they might not even necessarily reflect on their views in, in that way. But I do think that a lot of the people who were who were kind of really pro lockdowns and, and pro mandates and things, for me, it was a political position that kind of used covid as a way to kind of advocate for quite extremist far-left views because people who are who are more right-leaning would say okay well you know the economy matters you know obviously health matters and it's important to protect people but the economy and health are intrinsically linked, and you can't kind um, of um, destroy one because you'll end up. If you destroy the economy, then health yeah. is going to, you know, go by the wayside as well. And, and I think that exactly there was this, happens. there was an yeah. undercurrent of this kind of political polarity that was in this little dance under the surface of everything that was going on. That I actually think, when people stand up and say, "Oh, but you know, we need to save Granny," I actually think that there's a part of that that is what they're really saying is my political views are such that the economy should never be prioritised over health, because I don't ultimately believe in that intrinsic link. And I think that we can always advocate for health in the economy, you know, the, the government can just kind of do all of these things. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, I think that there was a, there was this expression of a political ideology under all of this, which I think that the left has been unwilling to admit
0: oh, look, I think you're 100% correct. But the problem with their argument is it's shallow. And I don't mind people putting those arguments forward if there was depth to those arguments. You know, platitudes and and high-level kind of virtue signalling for me was was getting tiresome. Um, If you don't have prosperity, if you don't have a strong economy, people will die. That's exactly what happened in Australia. Um, People did die. Uh, people committed suicide, I think the suicide rate, someone was telling me, look, and I don't have this verified because I didn't look up this statistic myself, but I did hear it from a couple of sources that, you know, it went up something like 600% uh, because people were losing their livelihoods. Uh, That was in Victoria. Yeah. Now remember that Victoria locked down, Dan Andrews locked that, that population down for nearly a year. Two hundred and sixty-three days, or something—I mm-hmm. think—that's absolutely horrendous. Now, that is absolutely linked to people's health. It, you, you cannot separate out the imprisonment of people, the 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 taking away of people's freedoms, the inability for people to access medical care and hospitals and have operations and and see a doctor. You cannot separate that out um, from. Just broad health, like oh, health is more important than the economy. Health is everything. A life is everything. It's too deep. There are too many steps that society has taken now to ensure that our 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 social, environmental, and economic systems all combine uh, to the best of our knowledge, the best that we can throughout history. To, to provide uh, people that now live longer, people who have access to medicine, you know all of the things that we have done, all of human history has led us to the point where we are now we used to be not anymore, but we used to be probably up until the year two thousand that the healthiest we'd ever been as a as a species. and you see, That had nothing to do with prioritising money over health. That had a a very complex system of of wealth and prosperity and and improving our environment and improving our our food sources and improving the way that people interacted, so our social side, to, to produce that outcome. We've slowly in the last 20 years, I believe, been degenerating those parts of our of our structure, you know, uh, environmentally, socially, economically, we've been degrading that. Uh, but you can't pull apart and have an if-then. If we did this, then that would happen. If we did this, this is more important than that. It it just th- those arguments to me were always just way too shallow, and they were they were put in a way that it was hard for people to actually come back and argue against because it just would make you look bad oh, you think that, you know, money is more important than human life. that That's what they would bring the argument all the way back down to this little tiny kind of statement that yeah. in, in the end was totally incorrect. It didn't mean anything. But how do you say to people, well, well, no, that's not true, without trying to explain the intricacies of how an economy works or how a society works? You're just not going to go there. You know, you, you just look at those comments and go, But they were everywhere and it was incredible to see how many people and how divided our society became when you had those two sides arguing with each other, particularly on social media. It was incredible to see the division and and we've come out of it in the last two and a half years with a society that has never been more divided. We have never, ever been more ideologically opposed in Australia. I mean, our society is essentially now divided into pretty much four kind of groups of people and a few of them wavering in between but you know and, and I don't know if we'll ever we'll ever come back from that you know from a from one of the most tolerant societies in the world mind you
1: yeah yeah I, I agree I mean it, it seems to me that even though this um, kind of corona debacle at least in the UK, I know that things are different in different countries and probably in Australia, um, there's still kind of more restrictions. I imagine there is in the UK. Uh, I mean, certainly here there's no testing to arrive. There's no, there's no vaccine mandates or anything. It's, it is normal life now, but there is this kind of sour taste that's been left from all this. And, you know, I, I know that even, even some of my friends, for instance, you know, who kind of think that I lost my mind with the whole Corona thing. And, you know, I know that they're thinking, I know that they're thinking to themselves and some of them have even articulated this to me, like, you know, why why are you still bothering with this you know like why Mm -hmm. is this still a concern for you and i think that ultimately it's because i feel like we've kind of compromised on such an important principle and that it hasn't been accepted that that's happened it's like
0: absolutely we need
1: the people who have done these who have have, have done these things to actually come out and say never again we were wrong this we should never have um had society move in this direction but unfortunately it's just kind of like okay we'll just open up again and pretend everything's normal and it's almost like you know if your spouse cheats on you and then just kind of glosses over it. it's like you, you know you need you need a really hard conversation about what your values and principles are as a society and and we've just not had it and and i feel like that's why there is still this division like we can't heal yeah. until that conversation
0: has been had absolutely brilliantly put i mean i i just think what you've said then is is so true um and yes it is it has been worse in australia um i i think that there, there's something that that comes from what you said which is so good, um, is why though, why haven't we had that conversation? And, and I, I feel that um, one of the reasons why we probably haven't had it is because it's about human psychology. So if you, if you think about it, um, it's been, uh, say, two and a half years of, you know, crap. Why haven't we done exactly what you said we should have done and, and absolutely what you said? We should do we need to do. We'll never get back to being a united society and get back our freedom and get back um, these guiding principles that have taken us through to democratic countries and to, to nation states and to be proudly free. We will never get back to that again unless we actually deal with exactly what you said. So why haven't we? And I think to me the really big answer to that is possibly because people were so invested there were so many people that believed everything they heard. They complied. They complied willingly. They, they didn't just lock themselves away. I mean, when the government here said put on a mask, they put on a mask. When the government said don't cross the borders, oh, okay, oh, well, gee, all right. Well, we went. I mean, I was horrified that Australians went, are you kidding me? Take down the bars. We're, we're just, we're living, like, hello, we're a, a nation state where we've got a constitution. Could we... But we didn't. We didn't cross borders. We put on masks. We, we, you know, a lot of people ran out and got injections straight out of the gate in 2021. As soon as the vaccine arrived, a whole bunch of people said, oh, okay, we're going to. Now, you go back and tell those people now, uh, having debunked every single thing that the Australian government and other governments around the world told people to do, everything collapsed when everyone got covid so now in Australia, in May 2022, all of that last two and a half years was a total nonsense. Because guess what? Vaccinated people got COVID. Vaccinated people didn't just get COVID; they've had it multiple times. There's a bunch of vaccinated people sitting in COVID wards, you know, really, really ill in hospital. And there's also a bunch of vaccinated people that have died from COVID. So, so in the end all of that investment, all of that emotional investment, all of those conformity, all of those platitudes, all of those people waving the COVID flag, all of those people telling all of those anti-vaxxers they don't know what they're doing and they're putting everyone's lives at risk and all of that narrative that was debunked. And it was debunked in December 2021 and January 2022 when COVID went from five cases around the country to once everyone was vaccinated, everyone... Got co- I mean, we were getting 10 20,000 cases a day. Yeah. So what happens when everyone's so invested? There's no way that after two years of conformity and telling people and, that you can go back and admit you were wrong. And I honestly think that one of the biggest reasons why we can't get back and do what you're saying we need to do is because a lot of people... Are certainly not going to turn around, particularly politicians and particularly social commentators, and particularly the media and and the big influences in society, they're not going to admit that they were wrong. And it probably just it's probably just as simple as that. That they're just not going to do it because it's been too long. And one of the things I said the other day on Twitter was, you know, the greatest enemy of Australia going into our recent election is a short memory. And the fact that we don't want to admit, as a country, that we really got it wrong—we got it so wrong on so many levels—but but but can we admit it? Maybe we just can't.
1: Yeah, I I think you're absolutely right on that. But I would also add to that that I think that admitting—I don't think it's necessarily just a dignity thing. Like I can't—you know—like people can't admit that they're wrong because it kind of—you know—it feels like they're. um, how do i turn this like that it's almost like a a slight on their on their on their character or something well absolutely i mean because
0: people don't want to look bad you know what i mean they just and i mean they don't want to look they don't want to look like they've made a huge mistake
1: yeah but i think that's part of the story because i also think of the other part is well if this if if this was if there was so many lies involved in this then what does that mean? What does that mean about the nature of my my reality? What does it mean that all of these experts that I thought I could trust, um, you know, were lying and that the governments were lying, etc. I think that there is an element there of if this, if I admit I'm wrong, what else am I admitting about the world, which is very, very scary for me. And I think that that's something that people have to get past is that they, they yeah. want to believe that the governments are looking after them and that all of this stuff has been done for their own good. And I think that admitting that this was wrong on so many levels is also admitting that, you know, these people that you trust do not necessarily have your best um, interests at heart, and they might actually be your adversary. And I think that's an incredibly, um, you know, scary thought for a lot of people.
0: I think it's a scary thought for a lot of people in Australia, too, because we have had a steady encroachment on our freedoms for the last 30 years. And I think that if you admit that the last two and a half years, you've been sold a pup then you then have to look back at the last probably around 30 years because that's probably where my memory sort of starts to, to kick in in terms of how I was you know an adult and interacting in society and and the rules and regulations that were then and what there is now you know we have had a steady erosion of freedoms and we would not only have to admit that we were we were wrong to believe the government but we've probably been wrong to just go along steadily and have those freedoms taken away from us without standing up and having the courage of our convictions and saying that that this has actually been the the wrong thing to do and the wrong direction for Australia and, and we don't want to be controlled like this anymore. And that's also scary, is, is not just saying to yourself, well, you know, I've got to front up here and actually know that I, I'm actually going to have to admit that I've been lied to because the evidence is all there. But not only do I have to do that, I have to go back, as you say, and realise that, you know, this country has been eroding my freedoms and my liberties for a long, long time and I've just been ignoring it. And Australians are not going to uh, fight to get um, any of those freedoms back. I mean, I I think Australians were... um, Too used to and getting too used to the government telling them what to do, and uh, I suppose introducing a lot of socialist ideas and socialist mantras. And Australians uh, have become maybe a little too laissez faire and a little bit too lazy. And well, you know what? If it doesn't work, the government will help me, the government will sort it out. Every single time we have a societal problem in Australia and an issue. We don't. We don't look to our own, you know, our, the people in the society to solve it. We don't look to parents and, and students and teachers and our friends and our and our communities. We look to the government and, and our our media and and everyone says, well, the government needs to introduce legislation on this. The government needs to provide money for that. The government needs to solve the problems. And we've been having that narrative for decades now absolutely decades and covid was really just the cherry on the icing on the cake i mean australia changed overnight literally overnight on the 19th of march we were a free country on the 20th of march we were a totalitarian dictatorship and that happened overnight absolutely overnight but you don't you don't really have it happen overnight unless you've conditioned the population to be good little minions and just do it do as they're told and believe everything they're told at every single corner, you know, around every single bend and down every single path. And I think that we lost, we lost something in Australia, but we also gained insight into who we've really become. Because before March 20, 2020, Australians had a real view of themselves, and I'm telling you, the world did as well that we were this kind of semi rebellious country. We were, you know, larrikins, we were happy go lucky. You know, we were settled by, you know, the first settlers that were here were rebellious in English society. So we don't, we don't like people telling us what to do. We're, we're out there, you know, on the sporting world, we're climbing mountains, we're, we're the first, we're the, we're the biggest set of travellers per capita. Like you can go to you go to any corner of the world before 2020 and you would find an Australian there it used to drive me crazy it's like we've only got 26 million people but you'd go to somewhere in the middle of Turkey in a desert somewhere or oh hey oh god really really I really can't get away <laughs> I mean Australians are just everywhere we're we're adventurous we're entrepreneurs we're you know we're freedom lovers and that's just it just isn't true. It is just not true at all. And that was probably for me the most astounding and astonishing thing. It wasn't that the government did it to us because history shows governments will do that to their people. And, and it's naive to think that in any generation, in any century, that people aren't going to achieve, you know, domination and grow their power and do all of that. But that that didn't surprise me because I thought, oh, my God, you know, it'd been, it's been coming for a while in Australia particularly. What amazed me and astonished me was the lack of resistance, just the no questioning. People, not a question. No one questioned it. Oh, okay. Are you going to? Oh, we're healthy. Oh, we just say. Australians were supposed to be this kind of, you know, really? Well, why are you telling us to do that? But we're all perfectly healthy. Why are we starting to quarantine healthy people? What? What's the. So, just even just asking questions, I would have been happy with that. I would have just been happy with a few questions. But you see, we we thought we were something, but now we've we found out that we're not we're not that at all. So yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. Sad. Um,
1: I did an interview with Geronimo. I don't know if you if you know him, but he's a he's another big uh, Australian freedom fighter, and um, he spoke exact, almost exactly the same words as you. He said Australians have this idea of themselves and that the world has um, an idea of Australians. And he said it is just a complete fiction. And he said that, you know, Australians are actually incredibly compliant. And that's kind of one of the reasons why uh, Australia has descended so much into totalitarianism recently, because um, there is no uh, real resistance. So yeah, you're kind of uh, echoing exactly what he said there. Look, We've uh, been going through it for a while. This has been like really, really great. But I want to bring back up something you mentioned earlier, which is that you're writing a book. Uh, Can you tell us about that?
0: Yes, I'm writing a book called, um, ironically, I started it in 2018. So it's actually called Liberty Lost. um, And I'm I'm thinking of changing the name. (laughs) So but at the moment, it's called Liberty Lost. Oh, I like the name. That sounds great. Yeah, the demise of free speech and th- free thought in Australia. So um, I was already thinking about all of these topics well before uh, COVID. I even hate saying the word COVID. It's just it's to me it's almost like a swear word now. That's probably why I haven't really Same. said it much. I keep saying twenty twenty <laughs> instead. Um, I did put I did put pens down in twenty twenty. I I felt that the whole thing was just a ridiculous nonsense because obviously I was talking about liberty lost, and then boom. Uh, it it was almost, well, we've actually lost it now and what am I going to say now? How am I going to write about something that I said we were heading towards something and then it just turned off a switch and we were gone? But I, I actually did pick it back up again in the end of 2020 because I decided that it was the icing on the cake, but the cake had already been built. So, you know, Australian society was already losing its liberty that that's why I was talking about it and trying to put it into words and so I I wove the the COVID story in in amongst the themes so the book's not about COVID but there is a chapter at the end which links in uh that this this heading down the socialist path um to COVID and why uh that build up and why it was so easy to implement in Australia so i just sort of changed the tack of the book a little bit at the end and it's at the third edit now so and the edit the editing process is extremely brutal because i have never done this before and uh, they're very very good editors and i um uh, yeah i'm being held to task on some of my comments which is good it is making the book better but yeah. it's just um i've just got another you know, a few more hours to, uh, address the, uh, address the comments, but it, it's basically finished. They're just trying to, um, as I said, just hold me to, hold me to account a little bit more. So, yeah.
1: Well, that that's so good to hear that you're writing a book. I mean, one of the things that's been great out of all of this, of, of the few kind of silver linings is that so many people have kind of found either a new passion or kind of become active in some way and, and try to yeah. find a positive channel for that frustration which I know I have and, and a few of the people I've had on the, on the podcast have also kind of been um, you know engaging in something where they're just trying to trying to channel that and rather than just kind of be downtrodden and frustrated is to say you know what what can I help now to build something new because you know I yeah. I really believe that we're kind of entering now a situation where so many people they they're kind of opting out of the system they're, they're just saying you know what like it can't be fixed it's so rotten to the core we need to actually build something new so yeah it's great that you're writing a book and yeah hopefully around the time do, do you know do you have a release date or
0: i i look i did and i've i've we we had an election here in australia and i decided to um to put, you know, a couple of months of energy into a, a local freedom candidate here. So that, that release date has been put back. But but look, I, I would like it to, to sort of start coming out um, in the next couple of months. You, you know, I know the publisher is very keen. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, he thinks that it's He does think that people will read it. I actually wasn't taking it all that seriously. I was just really writing it for myself and finishing it for myself. Um, I'd be amazed if anyone actually read the book. (laughs) But it is cathartic and it's exactly what you're saying. You've got to channel energy into things that um, hopefully make a positive difference. Um, It's going to be very, very controversial I ask a lot of questions in the book, and i and i I make assumptions uh, about why I think Australians have head down the path that they're heading. and I, I also have to say that you know um, a lot of Australians really enjoyed lockdown. I, I you know when it first started for the first four weeks, I cannot tell you, probably about sixty percent of the people I spoke to in March, early April were, really quite happy not to have to go to work they were happy not to go on the roads they were happy yeah. not to have to do the school commute they were really happy that they could send a couple of emails out and then just hang out in their jimmy jams at home and you know make it just look like they're working and and get onto netflix and and, and that that's a novelty and and i kind of laughed at the time and but deep down i, I was just really really horrified to be honest there were so many people now that of course has worn off and 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 eventually people did, those people did sort of turn around, you know, six months later and go, okay, now we're really, this is really bad now. What we need to do is is probably start to get back to normal. The, the problem that, that that statement is, is that, well, it's pretty hard to get back to normal when you've set a precedent it's like negotiating with terrorists i mean if you go yeah yeah okay i'll do it but then but then can i can i get that back and it's like yeah 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 but but first you have to do this oh and then you have to do that now you can't do this now unless you do that oh okay 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 and then it just keeps going and going until two you know a year and a half later it's you people are going okay well what's our way out of this? Oh, okay, now the only way that things are going to get back to normal now, you know, and by this stage it's May 2021, June 2021, it's like now you've got to have to take the vaccine, all right? Now you've got to take the vaccine. If you take the vaccine, everything will get back to normal. You'll get to travel. You you can go to the pub. You can, you know, you can cross the borders. You cannot get back to normal unless you take this vaccine. Oh, okay. All right. Well, we'll go and do that now as well. And, and by that stage, you know, governments are just—they're just laughing at the population. It's like this is hilarious. Yeah. You know, w- yeah. we can be proven wrong about ten things on the lead up to this, but we'll still get. And so you see, for me, that there was this hope all through the, the pandemic that the pandemic—that well, we'll get back to normal soon. We'll we'll go back. We'll we'll get there. And I suppose the book explores. The fact that you know we're probably never ever going to go back, and that we've we've kind of um, we, we've shown our hand. You know, we're playing poker and we're we're lost because we're not we're not bluffing anymore. You just mm. tell us what to do, and we'll go ahead and do that. Now, of course, a little bit of the fallout from that um, at the last election. We just had that election and I, I won't go into that because you probably wouldn't even believe the stories I tell you about that. But people did walk away from the major parties because there was anger and then there has been anger and, and that anger has been brewing for a few months now because people are waking up. But but is it too little too late? Probably is. You know, the WEF are meeting right now, the World Health Organization's putting treaties in place for people to sign, for governments to sign... You know, there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot going on and there's a lot of going on that people just aren't even aware of. So, you know, how do you ever get back to normal?
1: I was hoping that you uh you wouldn't give us the black pill towards the end of the conversation because normally I try to do normally I try to do positive section at the end. So before we do, because I am going to ask you to give us something positive. Oh, I'll um,
0: definitely do something positive.
1: Okay, okay, okay. So <laughs> so um yeah, first of all, thanks so much for coming on. This has been really, really great. I hope we uh get the opportunity to talk again. I feel like we could have gone for hours. But um first of all, tell people where they can find you, where they can find your your book as well when it comes out, and then if you can give us some message of uh of positivity to round off on as well
0: okay well the 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 i'm just at good food gal on twitter so um I, and i and you know the positive thing is that uh freedom fighters are finding each other and our community is growing and the best the most positive thing that's come out of it is that all of the people that i've met in the last couple of years that have joined the cause and the libertarian cause. Uh, are amazing and we're bonded forever and you'll find other people and you're not alone and it's a really beautiful movement and I've made some lifelong friends and I've only known them for for three or four months so um and and it continues to grow so You know, people, these people are courageous, they're funny, they're amazing. Um, And I I just, I've just sort of started my community on my Twitter initially. And then, you know, people reach out to me on Twitter through DMs. I mean, I don't stop anyone DMing me. I've only had fantastic people. I don't have anyone that's been, you know, kind of a crazy DMing me. So I've been really fortunate that I've met some amazing people through that. And and through, and, and we're going to continue to grow. The community, and and we're talking now on how to pull together this stronger and stronger and stronger libertarian community to you know go socially, politically. Um, how how do we lobby? You, you know, there there's going to be some. There's a lot of disparate groups, but they'll come together, and we're bringing them together. So that's positive. And, um, you know, I'm just good food gal and I'll be uh, putting my promoting my book in the next probably hopefully two to three months uh, on Twitter and I'll have a website set up for it, which is being built now. And yeah, it'll just be starting to be promoted. So it'll be really easy to find me.
1: (laughs) Thanks so much, Melinda.